What's up, y'all? This is John and Mike back for another episode of the Nothing Finer podcast. And on the second to last installment of the Puncher's Chance team series, we are talking to a guy from Colorado. But if you have not listened to our previous episodes last week, we talked to Michael Hogan from Rivals about Wisconsin Badgers. Um, We have talked to... Kentucky, Ole Miss, A&M, Wisconsin, tonight's Colorado, next week's Nebraska. So all six teams that we talked about a couple of months ago, you guys are getting a sneak preview of before the season starts. So if you haven't, go back and check those out. But, Mike, I'm going to let you read this because there's I, – I don't exactly know what you're going for here. All right, so maybe some of y'all will understand it when uh, once I read it out loud, but – uh, last week might have been the most info we've ever packed into an episode. Um, I think, I mean, without saying, I think it, I'm going to say it, but it definitely is. <laughs> but uh, so if you're thinking about betting on the Badgers, maybe you'll win enough, uh, win enough money to build a mansion somewhere in Wisconsin. Shout out T-Pain, Lil Wayne. Let's go. When you say it out loud, I get it. But when it's typed out, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm so confused. I was a fucking on one when I was when I was uh, filling out my um, my part of this. I was in a fucking zone, blacked out, just oh. went for it. Um, oh no! After after I talk about our guest tonight, it's a hundred percent on you for the rest of this because you went in. So <laughs> tonight we um, we've already talked to Jack Carlo. We just got off with him. Um, so a little, uh, a little inside the, inside the park baseball here, Jack was sitting in his car in a parking lot, waiting to go do an interview with Shadur Sanders. So audio quality is not as good as it typically is. Um, we had to kind of rush through it, skipped a few questions so we could get over there to talk to Colorado's QB one this season. Um, and then I think at one point we heard some horns and car alarms and all that kind of stuff. Excuse that. All that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Jack Jack literally fought the elements in his car to talk with us about Colorado football, so we greatly appreciate that. Um, but that's kind of the explanation on why it was quicker and, you know, you hear some noises in the background. So, you know, just wanted to give you all that as a heads up. Um, before we get into the interview here in a minute, how was your weekend and what are you drinking? Weekend was good. Lincoln. And I, I feel like I always talk about Lincoln. I mean, I have three other kids besides him, but um, it's probably more pertinent to, uh, you know, the football talk and all that. He finished up his uh, flag football season. He's getting ready for a uh, tackle football. He has uh, a football camp uh, the next couple of days at uh, Benedictine, which is, you know, a private school, um, Georgia, like superpower. I think they won the last two state championships at their, uh, at their level. But he has yes. uh, his camp there tomorrow. They were they if if you didn't watch, watch the BC game last year, um, on a on a, a GP on the uh, Georgia Public Broadcasting, that shit that game was fucking amazing. Yeah, um, yeah, but, no, they're a phenomenal team. Mm-hmm. The the five hundred, they only have five hundred kids in there. It's super prestigious in our area, so um, I was able to get him in there to to you know learn some stuff the next couple of days before he uh, starts playing uh, tackle football in the fall, but. Um, as far as what I'm drinking again, I, my, uh, my circle K cup, even though, you know, no free, no free ads, but 
fuck it. They ain't listening anyway. I got my uh, <laughs> Southern Comfort in there. <laughs> um, trying to finish that up. Uh, actually, I just finished up once uh, we get through this last little part here. But uh, what about you? No, man, weekend was good. Uh, I went surfing on Friday. I don't remember if I said it last week, but I'm learning to surf through a friend of mine and uh, stood up on the board for the first time. Okay. You know, I've surfed for a total of like two hours and I got up on the board. So I'm pretty excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Um, Kelsey's family was in town. So that was fun. We played this new game called Throwing Shade, which is like Cards Against Humanity, but it's all insults. Oh, so okay. That's fun. <laughs> Nobody like left or anything like that. Like everything's all good still. And I mean, as far as I know, we, we had a conversation when we started the game. We were like, this is a game. No one get insult. I mean, I was accused of watching midget porn in this in this game, which I have not done. Because if I'm being honest, little people creep me out a little bit. <laughs> That's what makes it fun. Like, in that setting, it's creepy. Because yeah, it almost fair. feels like, you know, you're just scrolling through. I'm not going to lie. I've watched porn before. But you're just like scrolling through and then you see midget porn and you're like, those look like children. This is this is not okay. Okay, so I rescind I re, uh, rescind my my statement about it being fun with you say, saying that. <laughs> not fun. Fuck that. Absolutely, we disavow midget porn on this podcast. Yeah, I just it's I don't I'm not okay with it. I'm not. No. Um, that was that was actually one of Kelsey's parents that accused me of that, and I I was like. I think if we tried that um, with uh, with our family dynamic here with my in-laws and all that, I don't think anybody would talk to each other ever again because nobody can take a fucking joke. Oh, yeah, yeah, No, we, ha- we made sure to set the ground rules beforehand. This is yeah. a game. Do not get upset. And if you get upset, take a second and remind yourself that this is a game. Mm-hmm. But I did win. So, you know. Fuck yeah. There you go. I- Always winning. That's all I do. <laughs> you hunted. You ain't going to be hunted. Yes, absolutely. But no, I am drinking a um, Whistle Pig single barrel. It says 10 year on it, but I know when I bought it at the store, I bought it in 2021. I remember when I bought it at the store, I want to say they said it was like closer to 17 years than 10 years. Oh, okay. um, but Whistle Pig just has like a generic single barrel sticker they put on it that says 10. This one is 115.9 proof. Okay. Um, but it's really good. Uh, Whistle Pig is a rye if you are a rye person. Um, I The higher up in age you go, the better it is. Okay. But also, once you get over 10 year, you're talking at over $100 a bottle. So, so you locked out yeah. on getting it at uh, 17 then. Yes. No, absolutely. I will say by far the best rye I've ever had. Other than what I drank last week with this harvest rye, that was mm. a, that was a we just sold our house and have a giant sum of money in our pocket. I'm going to treat myself situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean, Whistle Pig, I had Whistle Pig 15 once and it was the best on the shelf rye I've ever had. But you're talking $150 a bottle. So I do not own one. There we go. I just wish I could, I, I could get into it more and like not drink like I'm fucking like 15 and just stealing from my parents' liquor cabinet. It's So it's a process. 
Like when mm. I started drinking whiskey, I did not go straight to neat. I didn't go straight to higher proof stuff. Mm. So this part, unplanned segment, if you're looking to get into whiskey, like if you drink beer a lot and you're gaining weight or not able to lose weight from it, I mean, that's why I switched to whiskey when I did. You start with like your standard mix, but you use like ginger ale. So it doesn't dilute the flavor as much. And then you keep toning back the ginger ale, but you keep icing it. Like you do less and less ginger ale till there's no ginger ale and you're just with ice. And then you Mm. tone back the ice until you can get to it without ice. If you do it every day, it's like a two week thing. If you do it occasionally, it's going to take longer. And then once you get into drinking just whiskey neat, which is what I do, you don't want to go for the barrel proof shit like I drink because it is alcohol and you don't want to take shots because you can take a $500 bottle of whiskey and when you shoot it, it's going to taste like shit. Yeah. So you start with your lower proof stuff. Like if you want some good lower proof stuff, um, Maker's Mark 46, relatively cheap, low proof, um, Basil Hayden, 80 proof it's really approachable you can get into um buffalo trace if you can find it in your area it is hard to find in some areas um weller special reserve if you can find it in your area but then if you want to you can get into the higher proofs because all proof is everything comes out of the barrel at like barrel proof so when i say barrel proof and it's anywhere between 112 and 130 that's what it comes out of the barrel as every bottle of whiskey Okay. And then they dilute it down with water to get it to 80 proof. Mm. So if you want something where it's more flavor than water, that's when you step up in proof. But I started drinking whiskey in 2018 and it took me probably two or more years to get comfortable drinking high proof shit. So like, don't, don't just go like, Oh, John says wild Turkey rare breed is good. I'm going to drink this neat because a, you're going to hate it. Because it's 112, 113 proof. So it's going to burn the shit out of your palate. And it's $50 a bottle for something you don't quite understand yet. So get Mm. some of that lower proof stuff. I mean, Wild Turkey 80 proof is good to start with if you want to. I love Wild Turkey. I've said it on the show many times. I Mm. Once you get the thought out of your head that your dad's alcoholic friend drank Wild Turkey all the time... (laughs) It's it's phenomenal whiskey. So there's a reason why he's started. Right. Yeah. I, at first, it's approachable price wise, but yeah. it's really good stuff. So, mm. I mean, I have a bottle of regular wild turkey on my bar because I like it so much. Mm. Definitely, definitely keep that in mind for sure. Um, sorry for the tangent, guys, but you know it is drunk, obnoxious Georgia fans talking here. And y'all know I love my whiskey, so I kind of got into it for a minute. Uh, So uh, one other thing before we get into the interview, at least I think it's one other thing. We'll see. But uh, we were (laughs) just uh, for shits and gigs. I uh, the other day I applied for uh, credentials for Big Ten Media Days over there in uh, in Indianapolis or up there for us. Um, And unfortunately, we were denied. And you know what? Because I think they know that we would ask the tough fucking questions. And so just like real quick, I was going to just rattle off some of them that I was thinking of as I uh, as I applied for it that I would ask and probably get thrown out for. All right. And like I said, when I was writing this, 
I was fucking on one. I was in the zone. So hopefully it's all right. Hopefully it makes sense <laughs> when I go through it. All right. So, of course, top of mind for me, if uh, you guys can't see my background right now, but top of mind for me is always hating on Ohio State and owning them when I, whenever I can. Uh, so Brian Day is up there talking with his stupid face and complaining about targeting still. Um, I would ask, why is your beard so fucking weird? Did you buy your hair dye from Target? Why does it look like that? I love, I, first thing, I love the Eminem reference in there. Being from it, Michigan. Your beard is weird. Yeah, I love I love that. On brand, 100%. Absolutely. Um, I'll add I'll add what would get me kicked out at the end, but I'll let you keep going. Okay. All right. So, uh, Brett Bielema, um, those of you guys that, you know, remember him being in Arkansas and then just kind of floating around after that um, in Wisconsin, obviously before that. Um, but, uh, Bert, the food, the food in Champagne sucks. So why do you still have such a large fupa? That motherfucker is so fat. How is it still a thing? Like, he's in the middle of bumfuck nowhere in Illinois. How is he so how is he still so large? I you know, I having never been to Illinois, but you know it's corn. It's no it's was, it's Chicago and corn everywhere. I was about to That's say it. it's a lot of corn and some wheat. So maybe mm-hmm. maybe they make shitty cornbread. That's not really an up north thing, though. I mean, maybe in southern Illinois, maybe, but like definitely not in the like Chicagoland area. I mean, we could always ask uh, ask Connor about that later on if cornbread was a staple, but um, that that'll go on the list of questions for Connor. <laughs> Did you eat cornbread? Was it sweet? Unsweet? Tell us. We need to know. Um. All right. So going on from there, James Franklin, as uh, y'all remember, being the uh, Vanderbilt head coach. Uh, how do you, how have you managed to continue to fail upward in your career? So you rarely finish higher than third in any division that you're in. Obviously, you didn't do that at Vandy, but uh, uh, rarely finished five, uh, rarely fin- finished higher than third. Jesus, I, it's hard for me to say. Uh, you rarely finished higher than third in the East, and your program is still ridiculously boring. How I mean, how do you keep doing it? I don't understand it. I don't under. I've never understood the James Franklin hype at all. And he, I mean, he brought Vanderbilt to like respectability when he was there for the most part, but he never won anything that he shouldn't have won really outside maybe the Georgia game or one of the Georgia losses that he had against Vanderbilt. But his shit's so boring. Like Penn State, I mean, I've gone to a Rose Bowl and all that, but it is, it, there's no reason for me to believe that they're ever going to win the Big Ten East or just the Big Ten in general while he's there. They won't. Absolutely not. I mean, we just, you know, we need to be entirely honest. Mm-hmm. As long as there are divisions, he won't win. Year. It's just one more year. And, That's it. and if they go without divisions, they will have to play all of the cupcakes and one good team and hope that USC, Michigan, and Ohio State have a gauntlet to run through mm-hmm. because Penn state is always good to be like, Oh, I'm not even going to watch that game. They're going to win and lose by 14. Mm-hmm. They're, they're upper, I mean, they're, I don't want to call them mid, but like, they're like uh, on the, I mean, they're on the upper cusp of mid. Like they're, they're always trying to get out of being mid, but they're to me, they're never going to get there. Not, 
not in the current setup that the Big Ten has. And even when they move on from that, when the big uh, when uh, USC and UCLA come in, I, I can't see them being more than just mid. I really can't. I mean, they've gone through how many quarterbacks over the last few years that are supposed to be like, oh, this is the next guy. I mean, and even- then the best quarterback that's come out of Penn State over the last five or six years had his best years at Kentucky. Ooh, yeah. I would say that. I mean, right, I mean let's – Yeah, Christian Hackenberg, uh, he was supposed to be all that, never ended up materializing at all. A lot of that – a lot of that was the situation that he was in. Yeah, and that's fair. To be, mm-hmm. to be fair, he committed to that situation. So, like, you know, we're not here to shift responsibility. But, no, I just – the best quarterback to come out of Penn State had his best years at Kentucky. You could argue, argue uh, Trace McSorley. I mean, he's more of a TikTok or, you know, uh, whatever social media star outside of that. But, but he's yeah, we'll the best third string quarterback in the NFC West. You, you better hope that Trace McSorley doesn't come into that game. I'll tell you what. Because he will look like Johnny Manziel minus the touchdowns. <laughs> Just high and drunk as shit out there. Like running that. around to a ring around the posy with some offensive linemen and then yeeting a the ball downfield right into the defensive back's hands. Yep. <laughs> All right. So this next one's going to hurt me a little bit, uh, considering my uh, my situation going forward uh, with uh, some other stuff that I'm doing. But uh, Jim Harbaugh. So two questions. Do you really drink milk with your steak? I mean, that's a fucking psycho move, in my opinion. I, I get the protein. And Honestly, all it should be an NCAA violation. It should. I mean, he should. Michigan should pay a fine for that, even being in the conversation that he would do that. It's disgusting. It really is. I, you know, the meme goes around all the time about like eating your steak well done or putting ketchup on it should affect your credit score. Yeah. Well, let's add drinking milk to that. Mm -hmm. Let's just go ahead and do it. It's so disappointing. I, I I mean, it's such a Harbaugh's career at Michigan, too. For the yeah, for for the most part, at least the first uh first three quarters of it. I mean, you can where they're at right now is about where Michigan typically is. Like they're on the cusp of being elite, but you know they can win the Big Ten. But outside of that, it, it's going to be tough. I mean, well, y'all can. I'll talk about that later more. You know, throughout the throughout the year for sure. But one other question for Jim because I don't get this opportunity very often. Um, instead of a beat Georgia period in uh, in practice and, you know, in fall camp and all that, uh, shouldn't you have a beat TCU period in practice instead? Because Georgia won by 55 against TCU. You continuously shot yourself in the foot against that. You shit the bed. You, I would be more worried about that than I would be worried about Georgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm um... – I have a question in a similar vein to that 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 I'm going to throw in here in a minute. So you can keep going. All right. So two more. So uh, Mel Tucker. So uh, uh, Jack talked about Mel Tucker for a brief moment, how he kind of fucked the program a little bit when he left abruptly after one year. But um, so for Mel, because Tuck coming, uh, you're the only coach to bamboozle program more into giving you a hundred million dollars than uh, than Jimbo Fisher. Um, but at least Jimbo won a natty. So how did you do that besides just getting uh, Kenneth Walker? Because that's literally the only thing I can think of. Kenneth Walker won you 
nine or 10 games in that year that he was there in, in a, his, uh, his second year on campus. So I'm just curious as to how he convinced them to give him all of that money. And secondly, can we set up a Zoom call where you teach me these tricks? He, that could be a good second career for him is just being a motivational speaker, just like just teaching you his ways. I mean, that he'll, I would sign up. He'll be up. the new he'll be the new real sales guy like, <laughs> here. here, You know, when someone says no to you, here's your response. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy that gets a ton of views because he sponsors his post and everybody under the sun scrolls past it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Mel Tucker, I mean. Good for him. I'm, I'm not hating on him. I mean, he did great things for Georgia. I mean, got us to a helped us get to a national championship in 2017, but I, it didn't work out in Colorado for and in Michigan. And that was not Michigan State's first or second or third or fourth choice for that job at, uh, after uh, Mark Antonio decided to retire after he, like two days after he got his big bonus check. And they just well, gave it was also but, like two weeks before they were handed down some uh, NCAA violations. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what Mark D'Antonio may have screwed Michigan State more than Mel Tucker it's a good argument he at his peak he was so good I mean he beat Michigan all the time I mean that's obviously the big uh big game for them because it's the, their biggest rival by far and Michigan thinks of them as like you know, second or third for the most part but he 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 stayed entirely too long for the money. Like I said, he left, like, I think it was a day or two after he got a, um, I want to say it was like a. Oh, it was a hefty bonus. Oh, it was, it was, I, I want to say it was over 10 million. I mean, it was, I mean, it was eight figure bonus that he got. And he just left after that. And Michigan State didn't try to recoup that or anything, not out of bad faith. He waited until it was way too late to hire a coach worth of shit. Um. I mean, they got Mel Tucker, and he had, you know, one good year. But, um, yeah, uh, D'Antonio, not a fan. You know, if you guys are interested, next offseason, we we will do a um, best long con of college football over the last decade episode. Yeah. Is, it, is it Jimbo? Is it, is it James Franklin? Mm-hmm. Is it Mel Tucker? Is it Mark D'Antonio? You know, you – Let's see. That'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. I don't want the season to end, but that'll be fun <laughs> to talk about. Um, and then last one I, I could think of, because literally, I mean, I guess besides Iowa, nobody else gives a shit about any of the other Big Ten stuff going on. Uh, with Luke Fickle, uh, when uh, the Ohio State job eventually becomes available after Michigan beats the shit out of them again, um, how fast are you going to accept it? Are you going to think about it? Are you going to tell them right away? You know, you know, play hard to get because uh, before Ryan Day, you were the last Ohio State coach to lose to Michigan. So I'm just – I'm curious. That's funny. I ha- I did not know that about Luke Fickle. Well, to be fair, and I, and I love – and I love uh, – and I love Luke Fickle and all that. Uh, to be fair to him, he uh, he took over after the whole uh, Tattoo Gate stuff. So he uh, really had no it. chance of doing that. And, I, and, again, I really like Luke Fickle. And I think I talked about it with uh, – um, our guest last week that um, if Michigan was going to fire Jim Harbaugh, I really wanted Luke Fickle, even though he's an Ohio State guy, full and full, full and eh, all the way. Shit, I can talk. But he, uh, I mean, he made sense. He made way too much sense to me being a Midwest guy and be able to recruit all that stuff. But 
but yeah, he was the last guy he lost in. They were so decimated at that point in Michigan barely beat them that year. It was at home and I'll give them that, but, but yeah, um, Luke Fickle was the last Ohio state, Ohio state coach to lose to Michigan uh, before uh, Ryan day have lost consecutive games in Michigan and probably three in a row after this year. All right, so these questions are more or less off the top of my head. I would be one of the five people standing around the Iowa um, booth. My first question would be to the head coach, and it would be, why do you hate your fans so much? (laughs) Why do you want to put them through watching your football games? And then, you know, follow that up with, the only reason people come to Iowa football games anymore is to wave to the sick kids. A good point you know what it, the funny thing is i think iowa fans have leaned into that so much with like i, I don't know how if if you've been unfortunate enough to watch iowa games and you're just like part of the sickos committee that want to bet on like the under all the time there's plenty of signs out there multiple times last week betting the under on an iowa game or last and, it, year. and i want to say it's uh, i want to say it's gonna be the same this year but um they do have uh jake mcnamara from uh or McNamara from uh, from Michigan, so it might be a little bit better, but I don't think it's gonna be a ton. But um, Kirk didn't fire his son as offensive coordinator. He's gonna be like, oh, we have a talented quarterback. Zero passes a game. It. Oh my god. It's. And you know what? I think he has like a, a stipulation in his contract. Uh, Kirk Ferentz's son that he has to get to so many points scored in the season. Like, it, I think he has to average like. I want to say it's like 20, it's either 25 or like 27 or 28. Like it's not an unreachable a amount, season? but it, yeah. And a season, like he has to average, like, I want to say it's like 25 points a game. No, he only gets 25 points a season is the problem. <laughs> that defense is fucking legit though. But again, they're playing like Illinois and Wisconsin. Well, Wisconsin of old and, uh, in, in, in all the big 10 West teams, but yeah. It it's disgusting. But what I was trying to say was that there's so many fans out there that have the signs like cheering for the punter. Like we're just here to see kicks. Maybe he's playing into that. Maybe he doesn't see the irony in what, uh, in what he's doing. Oh, so next question would be, you know, a lot of mine are, a lot of mine are going to be to players, you know, because while you're getting kicked out of the coach's room, I'm going to get kicked out of the player's room. There you go. Um, so, for Blake Corum, running back from Michigan, um, my first question would be, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you regret your offensive line wearing run the damn ball t-shirts before the, before the Orange Bowl? It's a valid question. And, the, and I would follow that up immediately with, if it's not a 10 – you probably should have went ahead and gone to the draft last season. <laughs> They've won back to back. I don't know. I think you talked about it before that. I think the Joe Moore committee is like residing in Ann Arbor or somewhere close to that. It, no, so it maybe a little the bit. Joe biased. Moore committee headquarters is in Ann Arbor. Okay, maybe a little bit biased. Yeah, bit. yeah, yeah. They just don't want their building to get burnt down. They're like, oh, Michigan's won six games this year. They got the best offensive line. <laughs> Three yards in cloud of dust. You don't want to piss off Bo and his ghost. I mean, they they had less running yards per game last season and more sacks per game last season than Oregon, Washington, or Georgia. 
and still won the Joe Moore Award. So what's, what's more corrupt, the Heisman or the Joe Moore Award? We may never know. We need to do a deep dive into that. Get camp. <laughs> I, uh, I just, let's not get on that. Let's not get on the awards bullshit yeah. tangent because that'll be a two-hour episode in itself. <laughs> um, and then the last question I would ask, because um, I believe Marvin Harrison was at at Media Days. It has to happen. I would, oh, is he on the list? I got it pulled up. Let me oh, he may be. I don't think it's happened yet. I think it happens. Oh, it may, it may have started today. I have no idea. Once we so got denied, did I stopped today. looking at it. We, it did start today. Oh, did it? Okay. Um, yeah, so Marvin Harrison is there. I was correct. Okay. Um, so my question would be, hey, Marvin, my name's John. I'm from the Nothing Finder podcast. I just want to apologize for all of the memes and reels that uh, our Instagram page has posted about you. I have spent way too much time making those. Um, but for the question... Um, how does it feel to know, or how did it feel to send Javon Bullard a card on Father's Day? <laughs> and that's the point that I would get escorted out of the building. You might get shot. I don't know. It is, it is Indiana. It is, it's in Indianapolis. I don't know. Yeah, but I feel like if there was a Michigan reporter right next to me, they'd be like, fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> protect this man at all costs yeah i feel like some big corn fred and corn fed nebraskans would like build a circle around me to keep the to keep the ohio state fans away hell yeah brother we gotta protect this guy at all costs he says the shit that everybody's thinking he says the quiet shit out loud <laughs> yeah that that would be what got me kicked out of big 10 media days um you know, I would have a great time. It would be an expensive trip, but yeah. As soon as we got out, we would go get blackout drunk, and then walk back over as everybody was leaving when they're signing autographs with pictures of what you have behind you to yeah. get signed by Ryan Day. <laughs> Absolutely, and and. So what Mike has behind him is the picture of Javon Bullard giving that legal hit to Marvin Harrison Jr. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. I mean, it's to the point where I hung it up in my man cave because I love it so much. Because it's so legal. It's so technically perfect. Hey, we don't need to bring we don't need to bring logic or uh, slow mo into this. That's targeting. Mm -hmm. If a player no. gets knocked out by a shoulder, it's targeting. Yeah, I mean, head or neck is the same thing as shoulders. I mean, it could, you, you don't, it's the same thing. It's all in the same area, right? Maybe, maybe, ooh, if I had the money for an iron neck, one of those things that like you attach weights to and it's like a pulley system to strengthen your neck, if we had the money, we should send one to Marvin Harrison Jr. and with a note that says, most KOs come from a weak neck. You should work on that. <laughs> They were talking about that in the UFC thing I was watching the other night. There's so much neck exercises. Yeah, I mean, it's true because yep. your neck stops your head from rebounding unless you get hit in the head with two by six. Then then mm -hmm. there's no real hope. 
uh, personal experience. Mm. <laughs> um, but we know that was a little bit long of an intro, but since uh, since the interview got cut a little short for Jack going to talk to Shadur Sanders tonight, we wanted to put a little bit extra in there, that funny stuff. At least we thought it was funny if you didn't. Um, I think Amazon sells senses of humor for $29.99, so you should go buy one. Yep. Um, but after this break, we will have the interview with Jack. And before we get to the interview, we are going to start throwing in just like a five, 10 second clip of music because we go through Spotify and we can do that. So it's just something we're going to start. If you hate it, let us know and we'll quit. So don't try to make my fault if you plan on leaving. Don't come at all. All right, guys, tonight we have on Jack Carlo. I pronounced that correct. Yes. Yeah, that's correct. All right, so Jack is a Colorado alum and managing editor for Buffalo's Wire. Um, Jack, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? You can go into as much detail or just say, I'm Jack, you know, sure. whatever you feel like doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I graduated from CU in 2022 with a journalism degree. Um, while I was there, ran the sports section of the CU Independent student newspaper. Um, and then the fall of my senior year, got this gig with Buffalo's Wire, um, and it's part of the USA Today Sports Media Group, where we have, I believe, 24 other uh, colleges with similar Wire websites. Um, born in Boulder, uh, yeah, lived here all my life, and um, yeah, excited to talk some Colorado football today. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. I love Colorado, so I, I couldn't blame you for not leaving. <laughs> awesome yeah i appreciate it all right so we're gonna go ahead and get into a little bit of the uh 2022 review just a little bit of stuff here um as we like to do with these we're gonna get the negative stuff out of the way early so the buffaloes went four and eight in 2021 one and 11 last season 10 of those 11 losses were by two touchdowns or more, but Colorado did beat Cal by a touchdown to not go winless in conference. So kind of how did it get so bad? Because, you know, in the 90s they were good. Mm -hmm. I remember in the 2000s they were still good. They've had a ton of number one uh, first-round draft picks through the years. It's like, what happened? Mm -hmm. um, I would just say overall – I guess, instability at the head coaching spot, which is, yeah, you know, obviously extremely important. Um, at least like recently, um, there was, you know, a ton of excitement around the program prior to the 2019 season with uh, Mel Tucker. Um, that was just one season in Boulder, which I guess the Mel Tucker hype has uh, died down a bit now <laughs> after some of Michigan State. But uh, him leaving abruptly was definitely tough for, Colorado and athletic director Rick George um, kind of hired Carl Durrell. I think that spring, you know, it was a little bit of rushed and that did not work out very well. Um, you know, wasn't able to recruit, um, you know, top talent to Colorado. Um, and then, I mean, even more recently than that, just no real stability at the quarterback position since, Steven Montez uh, graduated in 2019. Um, I think last year we had like three or four different starters, I think five total quarterbacks, something like that. Um, so, you know, obviously tough to win games. But that's 
situation. Um, and even, yeah, even at the coordinator roles too, it's like Colorado hasn't had someone stick around for more than like one or two. It's hard to find uh, stability like that, obviously. All right. So um, we usually spend a decent amount of time talking about what happened in 2022. However, the team is almost completely turned over um, or at least different than what it was on Thanksgiving of uh, 2022. Mm-hmm. And that starts with uh, coach prime himself, Deion Sanders. So uh, after mm-hmm. Deion was hired, the, uh, the AD said, we don't have the money yet, but I know we'll have it. So I'm not worried about the part uh, about that piece. Has Rick George explained how the school is going to actually pay Deion that five and a half million dollar salary? I don't think he's followed up on that statement exactly. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. But um, just from what Colorado has announced in terms of money made from merchandise sales, like all season tickets are sold out next year. Two games are sold out so far for next year. Mm-hmm. Um, Colorado already has multiple primetime TV games. So I think Rick George was kind of betting on that to happen. And it has happened so far. Um, so I wouldn't say there are any worries in terms of putting that money together for him. So in Coach Brown's first meeting, he said quite a few notable things. Um, we're just going to quote a couple of them here that have obviously made the rounds on social media. So I want you all to get ready to go ahead and jump in that portal and do whatever you're going to get. And then – we got a few positions already taken care of because I'm bringing my luggage with me and it's Louie. So what has the fan base's general reaction to what Dion has said? And then what is the excitement around the prime era in, in Colorado? Yeah. Um, I would say, yeah, excitement through the roof, obviously. I mean, for a team that went one and 11 last year, um, you know, obviously there were some players on that team that are now gone that could have helped, I think, the 2023 team, um, which is like Montana, Limonius, Craig, and Jordan Tyson, two guys that entered the transfer portal and left. But I think the fan base understood that, you know, a drastic change needed to happen. Um, you know, he wiped out pretty much the entire coaching staff. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the co- the fans are receptive to you know what he's done so far they realized that it needed to happen um yeah i would say no no ill thoughts for what has happened but i guess on like on the flip side of that um a few players were definitely kind of pushed out a little bit i mean i, I wasn't there for those conversations but mm-hmm. um a few players have spoken out about how you know they're pretty essentially forced out of the program um which you know it, it's tough but i guess it's kind of you know the reality of college football and the reality of you know what a rebuild takes um so that's kind of been the ugly side of it but um yeah i mean the fan base is optimistic that you know the buffs will take a big step forward this year all right so to say one of the big stories of the colorado offseason is the amount of transfers would be like a drastic understatement um, maybe the understatement of the mm-hmm. century. So between uh, Coach Prime getting hired and start of spring practice, just a couple stats here uh, before we get into the actual question. Um, so between uh, him getting hired and the start of spring practice, 10 players entered the portal or transfer, I should say. 
Uh, from the beginning of spring practice through the spring game, 13 more players entered enter the portal. And then from the end of the spring game, so like you know, mid-April or so uh, through as of now, mm-hmm. last time I looked, another 29 players at the portal. So uh, we'll get into individual transfers when we talk about the offense and defense in a little bit here. It's, it's going to be really soon. But uh, do you think Colorado will continue to continue to rely heavily on the transfer portal going forward, or are they mm-hmm. going to shift their focus mostly toward high school recruiting? Because it may seem like a silly question, but there's a few SEC teams that at least seemingly have like yeah. put most of their focus on the the portal. Like Ole Miss, like really comes to mind with that. But um, is uh, is Dion going to be more portal based, or is it going to be more high school recruiting, or is it going to be like 50-50 split? Um, I'll. So at least in the next few months, I would expect uh, more high school recruiting. It feels like the roster for this fall is pretty much set. And again, with like those numbers, it's been like, it's been so hard to find like data for like who's in, who's out, just because there's yeah. been so much turnover. And even like, uh, you know, every once in a while, um, his sons like document um, pretty much what's going on in the program through their YouTube channel. And sometimes we like find out through that, that like a new player joined the team. So it's like, it's been hard to like find like an exact number of how many scholarship spots they're at right now. Um, but I, I think they're about like 90% um, as of now heading into this fall season. So I would anticipate that he's going to start building the 2024 class right now. Um, I believe they have eight commits right now for that class. Um, which isn't like a bad number for where we're at right now. Um, but I would expect them to focus a little bit more on that this fall. But looking ahead to next off season, I mean, that's tough. It depends. It depends, you know, how they do this year too and who decides to go NFL, um, who decides to transfer out. But I think Coach Prime kind of has that ability to – you know, dip into the transfer portal whenever he wants to because he has just such a big pull. So, um, yeah, not worried about the buffs uh, having to replace potential talent lost next offseason. So with there being so many transfers and communication and timing being so important in the game today, how well do you think the team will mesh early in this season? Um, yeah, I mean, it'll probably take some time obviously just because there's so many new guys who haven't played together before, but um, I will say that there is some continuity among the Jackson state transfers who are now in Boulder. Um, obviously Shadur Sanders at quarterback and they have, let me do other than that, like Willie Gaines at wide receiver, Travis Hunter, uh, Cameron Silman Craig is a safety. So, I mean, in terms of, you know, mostly skill position guys, I think they will be okay there um, in terms of timing and just meshing. And then in addition to that, our offensive coordinator, Sean Lewis, um, he also brought in his offensive line coach, uh, Bill O'Boyle, with him from Kent State. They brought two offensive linemen over from uh, Kent State as well. So, like, I mean, there's, like, little, like, pockets of like familiarity um you know heading into this season so i'm not like super worried about um you know this team meshing early just because some of these guys have played together um probably more worried about uh 
you know, some of these younger guys, you know, finding their niche in this roster. All right, so let's go ahead and move uh, to the offense uh, here coming up here. Uh, so Coach Prime brought in, like like you mentioned, former Kent State head coach Sean Lewis to be the offense coordinator. Uh, Georgia fans probably remember that name quite a bit from his time at Kent State because Georgia played them in 2022. Um, Kent State was probably one of the, the teams that gave Georgia the most issues last season, as bad as that sounds, <laughs> besides like Missouri and uh, obviously Ohio State later on. Mm-hmm. But uh, do you anticipate Lewis having a similar philosophy this year? Kent State had the best rushing offense in the MAC, which led to a ton of big chunks uh, in the passing game as a result of that. Yeah, um, I think in like his opening press conference, the media, Sean Lewis said that you know he's got that Wisconsin Badger blood, which is you know heavy running, um, fast paced offense. Um, I, yeah, I think he's going to carry that over into his first season with Colorado. Yeah, again, I think the biggest thing with Sean Lewis is definitely the tempo that run or pass. This team is going to be quick to get back to the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Kent State last year, I forget the exact number, but they were one of the quickest teams in terms of uh, time between snaps. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing that um, we should expect this next season. Um then in addition to that, they have, you know, a ton of talent at running back and at both and at wide receiver. Um, yeah, though I think he has the talent to, you know, run that fast paced offense that he needs to. And um, yeah, if one side is not uh, you know, contributing as much, he has talent um in other areas as well. So probably the biggest name transfer to come to the school this season was former number one overall recruit Travis Hunter left Jackson State with Dion to come to Colorado. So where does he fit in more this season? Wide receiver, defensive back? Because he he's going to yeah. play both sides, but which side is he going to play more of? Mm-hmm. I mean, if I had to pick one, I would probably say cornerback. Um, huh. I mean, at least like heading into the spring, I don't think – a lot of us here at Colorado like realized how good of a wide receiver he was. Yeah. Um, like I think I was, I'll admit that like I was expecting him to be, you know, like at least like 90% cornerback and then maybe, you know, come in occasionally at wide receiver if, you know, they need a big play or something like that. Um, but I think this spring and in the spring game, I mean, he took the majority of his reps this spring at wide receiver, at least at the wow. beginning of camp. Um, and he played both ways, I, I believe, 50-50 in the spring game. Oh. Um, he was first-team offense, first-team defense in that spring game, at least. Um, but, I mean, at least at Jackson State, he was used primarily as a, a cornerback. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's tough at the college level to play both 50-50 like that. But mm-hmm. So I'll say mostly cornerback, but um, he'll be in there quite a bit at wide receiver as well. Yeah, from like what I what I read about him, just kind of like a scouting report. I mean, he at the NFL level, he projects to be like a shutdown corner. So like that that doesn't surprise me at all. But in the uh, in the spring game, yeah. he played really well at receiver. He made a couple of plays there when I rewatched yeah. it the other day. So that that, that was mm-hmm. you know interesting to see where he ends up uh, playing more for sure. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. So Colorado also brought in a couple of transfers from uh, USF. Uh, so shout out Tampa in uh, uh, Jimmy Horn and Xavier Weaver. Uh, both guys were explosive in their time with the Bulls. So, uh, with that said, is there any uh, 
any other wide receiver depth besides depth besides Hunter Horn and Weaver? Yeah, um, there have been a few names that have kind of surprised or impressed this summer. Uh, I think the biggest one is this JUCO transfer, uh, Javon Antonio, really big wide receiver. Um, you know, I have no idea like what the starting lineup is going to look like. It's probably going to be Horn, maybe Weaver, uh, maybe Hunter. I mean, those three are kind of feel like it feels like they're at the top of the depth chart right now. But Javon Antonio is making a lot of noise this summer. Um, other guys to know, uh, Jalen Ellis, I think he's a transfer from Baylor. Uh, Willie Gaines is another Jackson State guy. You got to think some of the Jackson State guys have at least a slight leg up in terms of, you know, working with Coach Prime and Shador. Um, I mean, that's the Louie luggage. Another... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a Louie luggage. Yep, yep. I think that's what Willie Gaines said in his uh, commitment tweet. It was some reference to that. But Nice. Um, and then the one incoming freshman, too, um, four-star Marion Miller. Um, not sure how much he's going to play this year. Maybe he'll redshirt, but, I mean, he's got the talent to be a contributor at least, uh, at least in 2024, I would say. Okay. So the offensive line is one of the few position groups that returns quite a few players from last year. Um, I mean, you've got six foot ten left tackle Jared Christian, name that starts with an L. Licked in hand. Licked in hand. They call him Lichtenhan. the tank. That's what he's called. <laughs> like yeah, licked in hand. I'm pretty sure. The tank is I, I what mean, he's six, referred to. It's six <laughs> ten. You could tell me to call you Papa, and I would. I understand what it is. <laughs> uh, I, sophomore Van Wells at center, bring in Jackson State transfer Tyler Brown, six foot three, three twenty uh, guard there, and just based on previous performance, may actually be the best player on that line. So, how much do you expect the offensive line to improve this season? Yeah, I would say definitely a, a lot. Um, that was definitely CU's worst spot in 2021. Got a little bit better in 2022, but I mean, again, you can't really like compare the past two seasons to what's going on now just because there's so many new guys. Um, Hank, I think he took over the starting left tackle spot about midway through last season. And Van uh, Wells, I think he was a pro football focus all pack 12 honorable mention at center or something like that so you know he he made some noise last year for sure as a i believe he's a true freshman last year starting at center um so i anticipate him starting there as well um but also with bill o'boyle i would expect two guys that he brought over with him from kent state to potentially start in a savion washington um he probably figures as a starting right tackle um and then uh Jack Bailey, which I believe he's more of a guard. Um, Jack Bailey is another name to know, another Penn State guy. Um, you know, you think you'd have to assume that those guys would have a little bit of a step up. Um, Isaiah Jada is another Juco guy. I think he's one of four or five Juco offensive linemen that have transferred to Colorado this offseason, which has been kind of interesting. Um, and Landon Beebe is a Missouri State transfer. He's another guy that I think will get some decent snaps next year. 
All right, so uh, Colorado also brings in a familiar face to SEC fans and former uh, Kentucky running back Kavassier Smoke after surprisingly five years in Lexington, which I didn't realize it was that much <laughs> until I wrote that down earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and also former Houston running back uh, Alton uh, Miscal. I, I may have said that wrong. McCaskill. 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 Okay. Um, he uh, yeah. he missed last season with a uh, with an ACL tear. So uh, who do you think has the the edge in the uh, run, uh, the RB one race? Yeah, that's tough. I think it. I think it depends on how McCaskill looks in fall camp with his ACL. Um, I mean, if they, I think if he's at a hundred percent, he's probably the number one guy. But I mean, I think they have the talent to have a kind of a running back by committee, uh, you know, type of room. Um, but I mean, with Kwasi, as you said, with five years of experience in the SEC, I mean, it's tough not to go to that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's definitely one of the faster guys in that, that room. Um, but even beyond those two, uh, we've been coming freshman Dylan Edwards. I think he's going to get a lot of playing time next year, too. Mm-hmm. Um, he might be the fastest guy on CU's roster right now. Um, so I think those three are kind of the big names to know. But again, if McCaskill is 100% by the end of August, I, I would probably put my money on him being starting running back in week one. Did he did he uh did he tear his ACL in the preseason last year or did he play a little bit? Um it was yeah, last preseason. Oh okay. pretty sure. Or it might have even been in spring twenty twenty two. Okay, so that yeah, would be best case scenario if it was a spring. I'd have to remember. Hmm. I would have to double check that. But he did not play any snaps last year at least. Okay. With that said, he should probably hopefully be healthy. ACLs are still a tricky thing. Yeah, I think you are. Mm-hmm. So last question on the offense is about the quarterback. And other than Travis Hunter, obviously the biggest transfer is Shadur Sanders. Um, And Deion Sun threw for almost 7,000 yards and 40 touchdowns in his two seasons at Jackson State. For those of us, not necessarily myself, because I watched as much Jackson State as I could, um, but those of us that didn't watch um, Shadur at Jackson State, what can we expect to see from him this year? I think his accuracy is what really stood out to me, at least in spring camp from everything I saw. Um, also, just like his leadership abilities. Um, I mean, he's only a junior, um, mm-hmm. but just how mature he is for his age, like really impressed me. Um I mean, you know, obviously he's a Sanders, so like the spotlight's been on him pretty much his whole life. So, you know, I don't think he feels pressure that much, or at least that's what he says. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just think his leadership abilities and his, yeah, his overall arm accuracy. Um, also, I guess in terms of his play, he didn't run like a ton at Jackson State, at least looking at the numbers. Um which I would assume he won't run quite as much at Colorado. I mean, obviously his father's the head coach, so, you know, he probably doesn't want him <laughs> to run too much, um, you know, just to stay healthy. But, I mean, that's good for Colorado, too, because behind Shador, they don't have a lot at the quarterback position. That's definitely a big concern right now is if Shador gets hurt. Um, yeah, the Buffs would definitely be in trouble. Yeah, that was going to be our uh, our other question about the, the quarterback room was are there any quarterbacks that that were brought in that Colorado could still be competitive with if Shure was to go down or, or miss, you know, a couple snaps or a game or two? I mean, 
Yeah, it's a big drop off just because I mean the two other guys to know are Ryan Staub and Kaysen Wiseman. They're both incoming freshmen. So like, you know, you're not really oh, sure what boy. to expect from that. Yeah. Um there is another they added a JUCO transfer to uh Gavin Cold called is his name. But I mean you know, not sure what you're gonna get out of that either. Um and then they have a walk on to uh so behind Shador, nobody with Division One talent, Ooh. yeah, or uh, Division One experience. Mm-hmm. They do have Division One talent, but not experience. Yeah. Hot take: Travis Hunter is QB two. <laughs> I mean, he might be. <laughs> that that could happen. That could happen. I would not be surprised. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and uh, and move uh, move to the defense here real quick. So uh, last season's defense was abysmal, and I mean that's kind of taking it lightly, unfortunately. Uh, it finished second yeah, to last in the nation right. again. <laughs> it finished second to last, second to last in the nation according. Uh, I'm sorry, not according against the uh, the run, pass rush, and scoring defense, allowing 44 and a half points per game. Uh, so uh, defensive uh, yeah. defensive coordinator Charles Kelly uh, comes in from Alabama, where he's part of Nick Saban's staff for the last three seasons. Uh, he's uh, he's starting from starting from scratch here with almost no one from the defense returning last year that played a key role. Um, but a couple guys that you know, that came. I will in, say one guy. Okay. I'll say Trevor Woods is one guy. That's about it. Oh, okay. He's a safety. He's a safety. But that's and Chance Main too is a defensive end. But I would say those oh. two, yeah, that's that's about it. Okay, but, so yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, no, noted for sure. Um, but uh, big name uh, transfers that came in: uh, edge rusher uh, Derek McClendon from Florida State, um, and defensive end uh, Seville. I'm pretty sure I'm saying it wrong. Uh, Seville Smalls from Washington are some of the big yeah. name transfers on the line. Uh, and then the uh, interior uh, defensive line, so D tackle. Uh, brings in a 310 pound uh, Leonard Payne from Fresno State. So with all that said. How much do you expect the front of this defense to improve? And is there any depth, again, uh, on the line when uh, when injuries inevitably happen? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think they'll be okay. They're definitely not as talented as the secondary, um, which, you know, the bus are probably, probably going to be the case um, with, you know, Deion Sanders. Um, I think he even said, like, the Buffs are like one of the few college football teams that are building like from the outside in, like from the secondary to the D line. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know if it's fair to say like the D line has been a, a focus um, this off season, but I mean, they do have some depth there. Um, other guys that will probably contribute uh, Jordan Dominic. Um, he played a little bit at Arkansas the past couple of years. Uh, Taj Alston's a West Virginia transfer. Uh, Chance Main is a returner. One of the few returners. He's looked really good this offseason, put on a bunch of weight. Um, and then Shane Cokes is a Dartmouth transfer who um, had a pretty good spring from everything we've heard. Um, yeah, I think he could be another leader on that D-line. So, I mean, not a ton of depth, but um, I, mean, I think they'll get by if some of those guys can play to their ceilings. So going on to the secondary, the defensive backs include transfers include Travis Hunter, former Florida State defensive backs, Travis Jay, 
and a Marion Cooper and then high profile recruit that Georgia fans and pretty much all SEC fans will remember is Cormani McClain. So with Dion obviously being one of the best defensive backs of all time, is he doing a ton of coaching in that position group or is he taking the CEO approach? Um, I would say he's mostly been leaning on Kevin Mathis, um, the cornerbacks coach, and then Charles Kelly also coaches safeties. But um, from what I've seen in like, you know, practice videos and uh, the one practice I attended I mean, he kind of like hangs out a little bit around you know the db <laughs> practice groups a little bit mm. but um i mean yeah i mean he, he coaches there a little bit i mean why why shouldn't he um <laughs> you know greatest cornerback of all time um but i mean i knew he's got several other position groups that he also has to worry about um but yeah i think we'll learn more about that um you know as as fall camp begins and then how well will this defensive backfield be able to compete with the uh, power offenses of the Pac-12? I mean, USC, Oregon, and Washington, I want to say we're all top 10, top 15 passing offenses last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and all three of those teams have quarterbacks that could potentially be Heisman finalists. Obviously, Caleb Williams, uh, the returning Heisman winner. Um yeah, I, mean, I think C will be okay. I don't think – I mean, nobody's going to challenge Travis Hunter. <laughs> um, Fair. So, I mean, you got that side of the field pretty much locked down. Um, but I think it really depends on how quickly Carmani McClain can develop into a college player. Um, that's probably the biggest thing there. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I would say they have more depth at cornerback than at safety. Um but again, it's such a tough conference with like so many solid quarterbacks that you know it's going to be a bit of an adjustment period for some of those uh, Jackson State guys. Um, you know, going from facing FCS quarterbacks to you know a guy like Caleb Williams or Bo Nix. Um, but I mean, they definitely have the talent to um, you know compete against those guys. I mean, you can definitely say going into the season that uh, the Pac-12 ha- has the best, you know, collection of quarterbacks, uh, at least experience-wise, um, in uh, mm-hmm. in uh, you know in uh, college football and FBS. So, I mean, it's Colorado definitely has their uh, work cut out for them uh, in that sense. Yeah. All right. Um. All right. So last uh, last section here that we got uh, going into schedule for 2023. So. Uh, 2023 schedule is pretty brutal for the Buffs. Colorado starts in Fort Worth against the national title runner-ups. Probably shouldn't have been there, Mm -hmm. but that's another story. Uh, TCU. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Michigan choked that away, as I know all too well. Um, uh, (laughs) Then they they play the first home game of the Deion Sanders era against Old Big 12 Nemesis Nebraska. Uh, Their final uh, out-of-conference game is also at home against rival Colorado State. So, uh, the Pac-12 sw- slate is made up of Oregon, the real USC, and Southern Cal. Um, you know, no, no figure uh, SEC. Oh, so South, South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> it's only people in Columbia that refer, uh, refer to South Carolina as USC. Promise that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, but but uh, USC, uh, Arizona State, Stanford, UCLA, um, Oregon State, Arizona, Washington State, and then they finish up with. Uh, with Utah. I think they're at Utah. But 
Uh, Caesars and MGM have the Colorado yeah. season win total at three and a half, uh, three and a half wins. If you had a bet right now, the you know end of July, would you go over or under three and a half wins? And just before you before you answer that, uh, keep in mind that eighty nine percent of the bets at MGM are for Colorado on the over, and eight percent of the total yeah. or the overall bets for the national title uh, national title winner is also on Colorado at plus twenty five thousand. So, are you over or under yeah. three and a half wins? I'll go over. Um, yeah, I mean, I think some of those, uh, I mean, I don't know if like TCU's like a toss up game, but I mean, it's it's winnable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, if I had to like pick a record right now, maybe four and eight or five and seven, mm-hmm. um, I mean, Nebraska at home is definitely winnable. Yeah, uh, Colorado State, you better, better win that one. <laughs> um, ASU, yeah, you gotta. That yeah. One, uh, yeah, if I mean, if CU starts the season 0 and 3, um, after losing to Colorado State, that's gonna be tough. Um, but Stanford, that should be a win too. Um, then ASU, Arizona, and Washington State, those are also very winnable games. Um, so I mean, I, I see four wins in there. Mm-hmm. That's it. I'm betting the house. You got yep. me. <laughs> Hitting the over. Right, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think it's probably the last question because you've got to run. Um, but it's kind of interesting. So with the Pac-12, at least from the outside, looking like they won't make it very much longer as a conference, losing USC and UCLA, rumors about Oregon and Washington seemingly coming out every day about new conferences. Where do you see Colorado playing in five years? I'm going to say Big 12. Um, Seems like, I mean, I'm like kind of like biased from what I read, but it seems like Colorado has been like Pac-12 team that has been linked most to the Big 12. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously former conference and, you know, geographically like Colorado definitely fits that conference probably better than the Mm Pac-12. And I, I think... I think most Buffs fans want to see a return to the Big 12. I mean, you just got, like, you know, better rivalries there. Um, but, I mean, it won't just be C. It would probably be B, four corner schools, um, all four of them in total. I mean, if the Pac-12 does collapse. But, um, you know, it really depends on what type of media rights deal the Pac-12 was able to land. And, you know, we're still waiting on that. Um, with you know, it seems like no end in sight. That um, that that whole thing. Was, I mean, like until until that gets. Mm. No, that whole thing was Sorry, funny. Um, at uh, Pac-12 Media Days, one of the reporters asked if um, like the uh, commissioner, like, and, and I always forget his name, but he, the commissioner said that, um, you know, we're not going to announce any deal right now because we want to concentrate on football. And then another um reporter asked, so there's a deal in place then? And then he's like, well, I'm not. He really he was like non-committal. Like he called him on his on a shit more or less. <laughs> it, it was hilarious <laughs> um yeah but yeah it i mean do you see i mean does colorado go without the four corner schools to the big 12 you think yeah yeah i think they could mm-hmm. um i mean i feel like the big 12 is like a little different than the pac 12 like you don't need like like a travel partner kind yeah. of thing i mean like the pac 12 is so like linked with like the Northern California schools, Southern California, Oregon, Washington, where I think like big 12 is like a little bit different. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, 
yeah, I think they could go alone too. But if that happens, then the other remaining Pac-12 schools will also want out too. I couldn't imagine like a nine-team Pac-12. Um, <laughs> yeah, they would be. I mean, maybe they'll add San Diego State. I don't know. I mean, it's not looking like that anymore. But I mean, San Diego um, State is the pro team. I mean, <laughs> I mean, since uh, the Chargers left, I mean, they're the you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, power true. in San Diego at this point now with uh, Brady Hoke. Yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's definitely got to be the school that Pac-12 is targeting right now to add. And SMU, which it seems. Like, I mean, in the, if it was the 80s, that would be a good move. But I'm like, I, even, I mean, the yeah. big ball have ignored SMU, even when they expanded twice. So, I mean, that, it seems like it's yeah. a lot of desperation. Yeah. Um, I would say, um, sorry, you hear that lightning? Sorry, no, sorry. <laughs> oh, um, no. I would say SM. Okay, good. Just make sure the audio is good. Um, yeah, I would say, like, SMU. I, wouldn't, I think the Pac-12 of us said, like, that wouldn't be a great culture fit because the Pac-12 has kind of like stayed away from some of those more like religious schools. So, um, yeah, I'll say San Diego State is probably, yeah, definitely the number one still. Yeah. All right, Jack, we had a couple more questions, but you got to get out of here because you got got a big event that you're heading to. Um, We really, truly appreciate you coming on with us. And uh, good luck out there. Cool. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I'll be keeping an eye on Georgia as well this year. And uh, good luck in your quest for a three-peat, unless it comes down to Colorado, Georgia. <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk again. Oh, definitely. Yeah, if that sure. happens, you will be the first contact. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Right. Yeah, looking forward All to right. that. All right, man. Thank you so much All for right. coming, uh, coming right. on. Cool. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Thank you. Thanks. You too. All right, guys. As we do every week, um, follow the Twitter at nothing.finder.pods. We now have a threads, which is Instagram's new Twitter. I believe it is the same handle. Mike, correct me if I'm wrong. It, yeah, it's nothing.finder.pod. Um, it seems like threads is almost already dead, but I'll still be posting stuff on there. It was <laughs> two days of interesting stuff, and now it's a barren wasteland. But if you're on there, you please know, follow us. We got way more followers on yes. there than we do Twitter. Yes, and you know, follow us on Twitter at finder.pod. If you don't have a Twitter, make a Twitter. Please. You know, we we get more interesting people on the show to talk to with more followers on Twitter because that's where most people respond. Mm. Uh, we've gotten more followers over the last week or so. Mike's been killing it. He's gotten our handle on the Paul Feinbaum show a ton of times at this point. Um, we've gotten some retweets and responses from verified accounts, but the more followers and more cool people we can get. So please go follow us there. Um, Facebook and YouTube, just search us there. As the season gets going, we will post more to YouTube. Um, But honestly, work's just been extremely busy lately to the point where I don't have very much time to make videos to post. So we will get back into that. Um, Trying to think if we got anything else to plug. No, I don't think so. I think we're... I think that's all good. I mean, if anybody has a Wisconsin or a Nebraska connection, you know, hit us up on, you know, Twitter, thread, threads, Instagram, whatever, text, whatever, yes. however you want to get us. Spoke signal, pigeon, carrier pigeon, whatever. Let us know. Big text, Ten doesn't want to talk to us. Please don't call They're me because I probably won't answer. <laughs> the Big Ten's scared. We want to talk to them. Um, I will say, please rate and review the show on Apple or Spotify if you have not yet. Um, 
that also helps us get the word out to more and more people. And I still do have a stack of stickers. So if you send me a screenshot, I will send you a sticker. Only one person has done that yet, and they already got a sticker. So please, (laughs) please help us out with that. I would venture to say download, undownload, download several times, listen to it, and heck, put it on mute, listen to it overnight a few times, put it on repeat, help us out. Yeah, absolutely. I the, the more you guys listen and the more you share our stuff, the more it helps us be able to grow and get more cool people on the podcast. So anything you can do, whether it's sharing it to social media, texting it to your friends, literally anything helps. And um Next week will actually be our one year anniversary as a podcast. So that'll be pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Um, We've done a lot in our one year, but we want to continue to grow. So anything you guys can do to help us out would be greatly appreciated. Certainly. But as always, guys, remember, there is nothing finer in the land than a drunk obnoxious Georgia fan. Third and a mile. Duggan from the two will throw it all the way across the field. It's picked up by Bullard. Bullard got it again. And Bennett to throw. Lobs it to the right corner. There's McConkey. He got on his donkey and made a sliding catch in the right corner. Touchdown.